Let us pray. Father, I need your Holy Spirit to help me preach to the people that you have given to me this morning. I pray, Heavenly Father, that your Spirit will, will convict, will equip, Lord, will sanctify us as we listen to the words preached. Father, help us to be attentive to what you are saying to each of us through your word, through my words. Father, uh, may the flock here remember those things that need to be remembered in the days to come and forget anything I say that is superfluous or not in according with thy will. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as uh, many of you know, today we begin a sermon series in the book of Philippians. A sermon series in the book of Philippians. So if you have a Bible, or if there's one in front of you, which I think there is, I need you to, to take that Bible or your phone, if you've got it, and turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. The title of this series that begins today is Philippians, Prayer, Suffering, and Joy. Prayer, Suffering, and Joy. I want to say from the outset that I'm not really a fan of sermon series. Um, so here I am preaching one. Um, the, the reason I'm not a fan is because often you've got this really trendy title out there that people are like, oh man, I want to come to Sunday church to hear what they're going to say about this trendy title. And then what the pastor proceeds to do for the next several weeks is to take that really cool title and force it back in on the text over and over and over, essentially saying nothing new. So the reason for this title, Philippians, Prayer, um, Suffering, and Joy, is because throughout the book of Philippians, we're going to see those three motifs over and over and over again. My prayer as we look at the Word of God over the next eight weeks or so, that you'll be encouraged specifically to pray, to endure suffering, and finally, to have joy in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me begin with this question of what is prayer? What is prayer? Prayer is communicating with God. How many of you all grew up from the very young age of praying? How many, how many of you all prayed from a very young age? Wonderful, yeah, me too. Praying is communicating to God. In, in, in communication, it takes both speaking and it takes listening. It takes speaking and listening. Now, I, I think that one of the epidemics that has hit the church in the West for so long is that we don't actually pray very often. We don't pray very often. And why don't we pray very often? I, I think because... So often we have attached um, some existential experience to, you know, that, that we have to have when we pray. That is, every time that we pray, we have to hear a quote-unquote word from the Lord. Sometimes the Lord will give you a word. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes praying is sitting before God in silence and listening. But beloved, prayer is communication with God. And we're going to see that in the letter to the Philippians, Paul not only prays and teaches us to pray, he wants the Philippian church to be a church of prayer. And we'll see that it was actually founded as a church of prayer. 
So we have prayer there. The next word, suffering. What is suffering? Suffering is physical, mental, or spiritual distress. Tim Keller said one time of Christianity that Christianity is, um, it's, it's real. It's, um, it addresses real concerns in life. We don't hide suffering. At least good Christianity, faithful Christianity, doesn't hide suffering. Suffering is throughout Scripture, and we all have known it to some extent, either more or less. And suffering, we're going to see, is a part of the Philippians' story. It's a part of their um, situation that Paul is writing into. And I want to move on to joy quickly. What is joy? Joy is a position of the will. It's a position of the will towards God and our existence of gladness because of the promises of God. Joy. Joy is a position of the will towards God and our existence. It's a position of gladness because of the promises of God. True joy is found when we stake our very existence on the truths and the promises of God. And I think that there is a connection between prayer and suffering and joy. Prayer and suffering and joy. Let me say this for a moment. Um, when I was uh, growing up in the church, quite often I was told that, um, that in the midst of suffering, you ought, to be, you ought to be happy. Christians are happy in the midst of suffering. That is just not the case. Joy, I think, is found primarily, not, not in the midst of suffering. Yes, we can have joy in the midst of suffering, but it's actually found at the end of suffering. At the end of suffering. When you have gone through it all and you can look and you can say with gladness and great rejoicing that the promises of God have held true and are holding true. I also want to say before we move into letter, letter of Philippians in this first chapter, verses 1 through 11, I want to say that there is a, there's a connection between prayer and suffering and joy. If you've been through suffering and you've had trouble praying, you've oftentimes, I'm sure, had trouble with any sort of hopefulness, of, of the ability to rejoice even in the midst of it. I just want to encourage you as your pastor to pray. I just want to encourage you to pray. To pray individually in your prayer closet in the corner of your office. When if My prayer closet is, is a Pontiac vibe, a 2005 Pontiac vibe. And it's falling apart. Um, that's where I do so much of my praying. I want to just encourage you to pray. Before we get into the scriptures, before we do some exposition, pray. Because in the midst of prayer, you are communicating with the God who loves you and who will remind you of his faithfulness. If you are destitute and down right now, if you don't know um, what tomorrow is, uh, is going to hold, maybe you've got meetings, maybe you have a family stress, maybe all these things are going on, I just want to tell you to pray. Pray to God. Listen to him. He communicates to you through prayer, and he sustains you in times of suffering. We're going to see that it's through prayer that the Philippian church is sustained in the midst of their suffering, and not only are they sustained, they're given that great um, fruit of the Spirit joy in the midst of it all. Would that we pray, and would that our prayers grow us 
to endure suffering with great joy. You know, Jesus has a lot to say about joy before we even get to Paul. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. You see, there's a connection between our ability to have joy in this life and a trust in the future promises to come. When we believe in those promises, we will have joy here in the present. Rejoice and be glad, our Lord says, for your reward is great in heaven. He goes on to say, rejoice, for your names are written in the book of life. There's rejoicing that comes from a knowledge and a belief in what God is doing in the future for those who trust him and love him. Now, St. Paul will say in our letter this morning, not what we've read, but the letter to the Philippians that we're working through over the next eight weeks, he will say this of joy. Be glad and rejoice with me. That is, with him and his sufferings. That's Philippians 2, 18. In Philippians 3, he again says, rejoice in the Lord. And finally, in Philippians 4, 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always and again And again, I say, yeah, and again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, and again, I say rejoice. Having joy is a part of the Christian life. It's a part of the Christian life. But again, let me just, um, let me make sure that you all do not believe that joy is just some kind of uh, outward expression of happiness, that you're just smiling all the time. Our Lord was a man of sorrows in the midst of, of his suffering. He grieved. He was sorrow. He had sorrow. We grieve. We have sorrow. But beloved, we too have joy. That is, knowing that at the end of the suffering, it's not meaningless. That at the end of it all, a resurrection is occurring, will occur for us and for all who trust in the Lord. And we are sustained, beloved, in that rejoicing through prayer. Pray. Pray as Christians. It was Martin Luther who said that to be a Christian is to pray. Is to pray. Maybe you come here this morning and you haven't prayed in a long time. I just want to, in love, remind you that God forgives our inability to pray. Whether that was uh, for one hour when we knew we should pray and we didn't. Whether that's been for ten years, you haven't really uttered a prayer to God. He forgives you. He loves you. Pray to him, and he will sustain you in joy, specifically in suffering. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. This is had, even in the midst of suffering, through prayer. For without prayer, there will be no joy in the midst of this life. Without prayer, there will be no joy in the midst of this life. Have any of you experienced joy through prayer? There's one. Two? Getting energized. That's just water in there, I promise. (laughs) There's a few of you. You've prayed and God has given you the ability to joy even in the midst, to rejoice, even in the midst through tears sometimes. But to rejoice. Who, who Who raised their hand? Grant, you raised your hand. Do you remember a time when you were able to, to pray, that you were praying, and that you felt just great joy? 
Yeah. You want to share it? Speak loud. Speak loud. Quickly. Amen. In prayer, God gave you the benefit and the gift of joy, a fruit of the Spirit. Praise God. On um, uh, a few weeks ago before Father Zach and I went up to Chattanooga for a conference, um, I was in Deacon, uh, Deacon, goodness gracious, Father Zach's um, vehicle, and he said, please forgive me, I'm listening to Rich Mullins, to which I replied, you're forgiven. Rich Mullins is great. (laughs) No need for forgiveness. Um, and, and, and after um, uh, being with, with Father Zach uh, in, in his vehicle, I decided to put on some, some old songs that I grew up with and some old Christian music. And in my vehicle, um, just about a week ago, as, I, as Jennifer and I are still working through the death of our son, okay, so part of me preaching to you all this morning is because this is real to me. It's not a joke. I'm not up here just preaching because you pay me to do it. I'm listening to this David Crowder song, and forgive me for listening to David Crowder. (laughs) Um, And he's got this song. He says, you are my joy, you are my joy, you are my joy. Now, he doesn't just say that because he's not just repeating the same thing over and over, which some really bad Christian music does. He says that, and he goes on to talk about the joy that God has given us. And there I am in that Pontiac vibe in my prayer closet, weeping in prayer, knowing that even in the midst of suffering, God has not forsaken us. And in this, we can trust. Amen? In this, we can believe. St. Paul writes his letter to the Philippians to exhort them to pray, to exhort them to have joy in the midst of their suffering. If you don't know anything about the letter to the Philippians or the, the churches at Philippi, let me say a few things as we get into this text. The first is this. Philippi was a city in Macedonia. In Acts chapter 15, you might remember that, um, that Paul, this is kind of after the, the Jerusalem council in that, of Acts 15, at the end, Paul is wanting to go to Galatia, and he has a vision. Do you remember this vision? A vision, he has a vision of a man that comes to him and says what? Come where? Come to Macedonia. What about us? And so he goes to Macedonia. The Lord would not let him go to Galatia. He goes to Macedonia. And there he goes to Philippi, which is um, a city in Macedonia. And in Acts chapter 16, when Paul gets to Philippi, okay, there are two people waiting for him that convert to the Christian faith. One is Lydia. Okay? One is Lydia. And I want to stop, uh, set, uh, set here for a moment with Lydia in Acts chapter 16 before we move into our text. And it's, it's this. Paul finds Lydia with other women down where? Remember this? Down by the, down by the river. And at the river, there was a place of prayer. They were praying down by the river, and Paul finds them. A church 
that will begin with some women praying and God, uh, Paul comes to them and explains to them who Jesus is, the gospel, and they believe. The other, of course, is the Philippian jailer who converts. So Paul had gone to Philippi listening to the Spirit and that church was begun in prayer. And Paul pins this letter, the letter to the Philippians, to those believers that were living in Philippi, which was a place really almost like, uh, like the present day of the United States in many ways. Philippi was a little Rome in Macedonia. All the same kind of pagan worship and all these things and getting ahead of one another, all that was present in Philippi. And Paul is writing to his devoted believers to pray, to rejoice in the midst of suffering. Let us turn to chapter one, verse one, verses one and two quickly. Paul begins by saying, Paul and Timothy of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These first two verses are important, beloved, for us. Yes, Paul is addressing the bishops, the overseers, and the deacons, and that's part of our threefold ministry as Anglicans, but let me go even further than that. Paul says, to all the saints in Christ, beloved, let me remind you if you've forgotten, because you are baptized into Jesus himself, and you have vibrant faith, you are a saint. You're a saint. Now, we don't live like saints, but we have been given an identity in our baptism in Christ. Amen? That baptism that we have shared in, that one baptism, has given to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. We're clothed in it. We're called saints by Paul. You are a saint in Jesus. But he doesn't say, along with your, you know, amazing, wonderful overseers that can be translated as bishops and deacons. No, he says with the overseers and deacons. The call to pray, the call to rejoice, the call to stand firm in the midst of suffering is not just for the clergy, not just for the elite, the leaders of the church. It's for every one of us as saints. This is the priesthood of all believers, not knocking down authority in the church. No, no, no. There's authority in the church that's given by God, but all of us as saints are called, laity and clergy alike, to pray, to endure suffering with joy. He goes on in this next section to to say this. Follow along if you have a Bible. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul was praying for his people, praying that they would be able to sustain their faith in the midst of their life, in the midst of suffering. This is a call to us believers to pray for one another. How many of you all have been praying for Jennifer and I over the last month? Everybody, I think, in this country that has known about it has prayed for us. God has strengthened us and our faith and our ability to rejoice in God because you, like Paul, have been praying for us. We're called to pray for one another. 
God answers those prayers. He answers them. Paul is saying here, I pray for you all. As a matter of fact, he says, when I remember you all in my prayers, it gives me great joy. You know, I think that there's a, a link between our prayers and remembrance for what God has done. As you think about your life, as you think about God's um, hand, involvement in your life, I think that we can do nothing but kind of but blurt out thanks and praise, or even silently in our hearts, blurt out thanks and praise, and to be moved to prayer. Move to prayer. Remembrance leads to prayer, and prayer, of course, sustaining us with joy in the midst of suffering. Paul says in verse 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Each of us, we are here this Sunday morning to worship God, but all of us are on our way in this life, aren't we? We're on our way in this life. Each of you, with your jobs, your vocations, your families, we, we, move, we leave on after fellowship, which you should definitely stay for. We leave after fellowship and we go our separate ways. We're on our separate kind of journeys together. But beloved, let me again remind you of Paul's words here. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the, at the day of Jesus Christ. God is working within you. Maybe people have not, someone hasn't told you that in a long time in your life. God is at work in you. It's through prayer that we discern what that work is, what he's doing, where he's pruning us, where he's sanctifying us. Because you see, our salvation, while firm in our Lord, it's firm in our Lord, but our sanctification is an ongoing event. In Sunday school this morning, Todd Higgy brought up the fact that there's a new covenant in Jesus Christ, and that covenant was sealed with the cross and with the resurrection. And the fulfillment of that, of that covenant is in the future. And we are moving, we are moving towards that future and towards that covenant and we are being sanctified even now. But beloved, if you don't stop and pray and ask God how he's working, what he wants to do in your life, what he wants you to think and believe, if you're not stopping to pray, you're going to live your entire life um, almost kind of unhitched from what God would be teaching you through prayer. Let me end with this. This last section of this introduction of Paul's letter says this, and I want to skip down here to verse, um, to verse 9. 9 to 11 is the content of the prayer that Paul prays for his people in Philippi, and I think it's an example to us on how we ought to pray for one another and for ourselves. Here's what Paul says, verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Beloved, I want to challenge you all this week to pray that prayer for yourself and on behalf of others that we may abound more and more in the love of God with knowledge and discernment 
so that you, that is God may approve, or so that we may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Beloved, not only within our prayer life are we able to be sustained through suffering with joy, it's also in our prayer life that we are able to be sanctified. Because when we listen to God and talk to him, he communicates to us what he is doing to us in this life, how he is refining us. So that as Paul says, we may know what is pure. We may love the things of God and not love the things of the world and of the devil and of the flesh. So if you hear me say anything at the beginning of this um, sermon series, let me say this and end with this. We as Christians are called to pray. Pray, pray, pray. Archbishop Foley came to a deanery meeting we had at our parish a few weeks ago, and he gave a little talk on prayer. And he quoted somebody that, um, I can't remember who it was, but the quote was this, um, for the Christian, prayer is the work. Prayer is the work. I, I want to um, reiterate that to you all this morning. Prayer is the work. When we pray, we are sustained in suffering. We're given joy. We're able then to know where God is sanctifying us and to accept it. And then finally, when we pray for one another, collectively, we are strengthening the bonds of faith in this life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.